Welcome back to the A-Space Podcast with your host, the One-Eyed Gambler, and Nimbus the All-Powerful. we got a few updates for you guys. First, if you listen before or go back to the older episodes, the Stitcher promo codes no longer work. Second, you can still reach us at aspacepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at aspacepodcast. Give us your feedback, submit topics you want to hear discussed, or just say hi. Last update, we have a name change for you guys. The A-Space Podcast will be switching to Grayscale. Once that name change occurs, we will drop the updated socials to reach us at, again, that name changes grayscale train wreck look like <laughs> that and it tells a clear path it was like our podcast was on the up and up well no it was december 20th of 2019 i don't know we did this one six way from sunday podcast about yeah. politics and star wars <laughs> yeah. and then the next one after that was february 4th and then March 6th, both of these are in 2020. And then our last episode was March 11th of 2020. That was just as COVID was hitting. And we were just finding out what was going on. Bro. <laughs> yeah, man. This isn't even what we had on the list to start out with today. No, it's not. But it, I was just looking like the back on it. one question people have asked me. Yeah. Yeah, I kept getting a lot of it when I was bartending. People were asking where the next episode was going to drop. I said, I don't know. COVID protocols. High-risk family members don't really give us a lot of room to negotiate that. You know, we all want to play it pretty safe. Damn. Everybody was struggling. You know, when you're out there grinding seven days a week, it's hard to find time for four hours. (laughs) Of recording and then six hours of editing. It really is, dude. Man, I didn't even know how to start out today. Thank you for everybody that has come back through and is listening right now on podcast services all around the world. Uh, man, I'm Nimbus, the AP. Over here is the one eyed gambler. What up? We're starting the podcast up again and we're back. First on the list, we had an update on creative stuff that we're doing, man. I've been trying to get back in the groove of streaming, man, but I don't know how it's going to go at all. I'm going to be totally honest with y'all. I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. I, what about you, man? I, uh, I'm in the same way. I want to get back into it, but uh, I'm not really sure which platform to jump back off on is my thing. I know Twitch at one point shadow banned the shit out of me. Because I had one stream, I had a pretty decent viewer activity, but um, 
somebody was in the chat uh, talking about gun control and all that. And so the stream ended up, you know, our st the stream ended up going that way. And once you bring up that subject on your stream on Twitch, you pretty much get down-regulated permanently. They don't like that topic just as much as they don't like politics and things. Even if you're sitting and just chatting, which is kind of funny. Oh, so, I don't know. I was thinking about maybe starting on YouTube and then just keeping it all centralized in one hub until I get my own website host once my growth, once I grow enough and then I get my own website and then just posting clips of things from the website. Um, possibly, you know, uploading clips to YouTube and then doing host streams on um, other uh, smaller independent media sites, uh, stuff like Rumble or Local or whatever, and seeing how that went. Twitch is a beast. Twitch is, you, man. Twitch is a monster that is hard to wrangle, and if you can, it's, it can be good, but it, it can seriously just, you know, if, it's, if all your eggs are in that basket, and then you get cut from it, then you're screwed. And it's hard to get back in contact with those followers and things like that, even through social media. Because usually what I've seen is once you get hit on one website, all affiliate websites to that account also get hit in some way, shape, or form. Dang. Well, yeah, man. Yeah, we can't <clears throat> all be Amaranth out here. <laughs> Bro, I watched this. Oh, my goodness. That was so crazy. Dude, I don't know how she was able to come back. And do and Dr. Disrespect She's the still number, isn't able to come back. The number one earner, bro. That's crazy. She's that like, too you want to talk shit? Here's my check. Like, she doesn't even negotiate, dude. She just writes a donation to Twitch. And they go, alright, you're good. Like, she doesn't even deal with the managers and staff. I guarantee you. She just goes, calls somebody up. Hey, I just transferred something into your bank account. Go have a look. And they go... Okay, you're good. And then they ram it down everybody's throat. I guarantee you. Like, dude, she sits on stream. And again, not talking shit about her because she got that hustle. But she literally sits there and she watches movies, Netflix, YouTube videos, listens to podcasts. While she's on stream, streaming. Yeah. Doing hyper-sexualized ASMR sounds. Oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> the what better? The greatest... Hustle I've ever seen, dude. Sex sells. It it does, and it. it and she doesn't have nearly the drama of like OnlyFans people and things like that. No, not at all. She just goes, "Oh, you want to ban me again? Okay, cool. I'm just gonna make another donation." Like <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she had like a bunch of stock in tech companies and was just like, I could just have the entire website dropped from the server that hosts it if you want. So I could buy that building that it's in and shut it down. Or she has a tight grip on... Okay, never mind. I'm not going to finish that. Um, <laughs> I've also been thinking about... Man, I've got the bug to write again. So... I've I been think, writing I all think, pandemic. I think here, for like the next two weeks, the time that I've allotted to stream, I'm going to allot it to like do some writing. And actually work on a piece of work that I've been thinking about in my head. 
Okay. I don't know. Do other writers out there, do y'all think for like two weeks about a book before you write it? Or do you think and then start writing it down? I don't know. It's crazy. I've been thinking about this thing and it's like stuck in my head. So I feel like until I get it down on paper, you know, it's just going to be stuck there. I've also been looking at coding too, bro. I'm... I've been considering IT seriously really? as a move. Yeah. Just, I'm I'm very fluent in a lot of other reliable industries, right? Like the service industry, contracting, subcontracting. Mm-hmm. I can pick up means here and there. Did you say you can pick up memes? Means. Means. M e a n. They're gonna be dank memes, bro. Jesus. No means. Okay. You know that way I'm not stuck. In that horrible situation, a lot of people are, you know, you get stuck in a job that you mm-hmm. hate with people that you can't stand, mm-hmm. that slack off with the boss who doesn't appreciate how hard you work, and you feel like you're trapped in that. We I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Not again. I've been there, done that. That's terrible. And I'm not going to let myself be subjected to that. So I have to have flexibility in the way I make my money. In the same way, you know, when you invest, you need to have flexibility in your portfolio. So that when, you know, it drops six points, you're not hemorrhaging. Yeah. Um, But so I've been thinking about picking up coding and uh, software design as a, as a, the next field to have in my arsenal for a bag of tricks. Um, But I'm not sure where to really start with that, whether if I want to do just like certs from like tech companies like Google's certification program or do you might whole... need to do W3 schools it mm-hmm. make sure you get all the IDEs the text editors yeah and you know I'm still doing a little bit more research but visual studio code would be the way to go and then uh, what I've heard <clears throat> is you learn one language and you focus on one programming language mm-hmm. and then you build it up from there so, for me, I don't know if I want to learn Python first or C++. Gotcha. I really want to code them Apple apps. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I really okay. want to code those iPhone apps. People download, then download them on their phone. I want to make a game or something. So then, you know, once you learn like C++ for iPhone apps, then you can take the same like infrastructure of like how you lay out your code and apply it to like JavaScript so you can start making apps for like Android. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Once you so, once you have the base framework down it which port easily from operator system. Yeah, yeah. We we I I think the framework more or less refers mm-hmm. to like how the like application and how the program is built. Yeah. Because then you have to learn like the different like the language of the programming language right yeah. so like the like the syntax of the you know specific programming language so right uh you know yeah, there's a lot there <laughs> getting my foot into it slowly but surely so um you know i think that it may be like probably once or twice a month you'll see me streaming and then the rest of the time i'll be putting into more creative endeavors until i you know Mm-hmm. Getting my weight up and stuff like that, and really until I probably get a gaming PC, bro. I think that's just where, <laughs> just where I'm at. I'm tired of like console gaming and 
We'll hook you, you know, up with Steadmeister yeah. and uh, have him spec something out for you. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Do it. That's what he told me. He's like, next time I was going to build a PC, he said, just call him. Oh, okay. Order the parts and call him. Nice. So that's essentially what he does for a living. Yeah. That and, you know, drop missiles on dudes with a press foot button. Oh, my gosh. You can't say that out loud. <laughs> Edit this part out for the last 20 seconds because I don't think you were supposed to say that. No, it's, it's, that's just like, it's what he does. No, no, I'm kidding. He uh, he runs uh, back engineering, back in software engineering for uh, the Air Force Reserve. Oh, yeah, so he drops missiles on people. Okay, same thing. <laughs> no. um, he makes sure all the flight instruments and everything are functioning. Oh, yeah, that's what, he, that's what he fucking told you. That's what he told you. That's, I that's swear, what, that's what the FBI told me when they interviewed me for a security clearance. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly that's what they told you they told you he works on oh the team but God. the truth the truth of the matter is he dropped bombs on funny. people that's funny my goodness but uh come back to writing I've actually been writing pretty much through the whole pandemic I haven't been publishing um, yeah. most of what I wrote started off really like so so as it does Mm-hmm. And I took like literally like a full year to work on like six pieces that I whittled down into like three that mm-hmm. I then typed up and I have them saved as drafts. Um, I gotta reread them and restructure them a little bit now mm-hmm. that they're now that they've been digitized. I gotta work on like structure of the poem, the schematic of it. You know, if I want to use the geography of the page to tell part of it, that kind of thing. Um, sort of moving away from like this the little bit of writing I was doing at first my wait fr- a freaking minute there's clouds and stuff in here dude uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah wait. hard segue into Bro, my tattoo update I know wait, wait. hard segue into the tat update guys <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie bro he's had this shirt off he's had, he's had his jacket off with this shirt here for since way before the podcast started but I just yeah, noticed for it. about an hour <laughs> you got these clouds and stuff in here? Yeah, it's the Bull City skyline, baby. Oh my goodness, let me see it. Before they put up that shitty ass skyscraper down there worth like 44 mil. Whoa, bro. Yeah. Oh yeah. It comes all the way across. And then it's got the water tower, the old uh, tobacco road, smokestack, that's, the whole thing. That's fly. Yeah, I still got the same fucking tattoos, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is a damn shame, because your dad will do that shit for free. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, that's that's a thing. We're not, we're not going to go there on my daddy issues, okay? Okay. We're not going to go there. We'll work um, that out a different day. <laughs> right. So what games are you playing? Because I know you're not playing any Apex. Well, back to the writing thing. So... oh man we are full of hard transition guys in case you can't tell we've not done this in a while it's it's much closer to how we talk to each other regularly versus when we're trying to like have a succinct coherent thought process um but anyway so my first like 10 publications that i did um were Focused on like creating meaning and punctuation 
within the words. So I would like spike words to make them stick out to the reader. By spiking, I mean I would capitalize them in the middle of the sentence structure, even though I knew grammatically it wasn't supposed to be. Right, and I'm doing that intentionally to provoke those words in the reader's mind as they read for two reasons. One, I want to eviscerate what their mind is going to perceive, right? I don't, I want to blow out their initial interpretation of what they're reading in their mind by overloading it with important words, right? And laying too many layers of meaning in there for them to have an initial reaction. I want them to be stuck on the question of what I'm trying to say first so that they go back and they reread it. And then after they think that they've made progress or they get too irritated with not being able to understand it, then they start working on their own conclusions of what it means from their interpretation. That's how I was publishing. I moved away from that again back towards into like the classical concept of writing poetry where everything is essentially lowercase and you're looking more at the uh, meter and the rhyme scheme in order to determine which parts of the poem tell what part of the story first. Mm. So those first sessions, those first publications, I'm going to loop up into a book called Primordial Sessions, and then I'm not sure what I'm going to call this one. Um, I'm working on a concept for a piece that's a sequel to a poem, that I originally published called Merchant of Sin. And then the sequel is going to be called Merchants of Dreams. Um, so I've got a concept for that one that I really like. That one actually was a little more easier to like chase down the rabbit hole than Merchants of Sin was. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so if you want to find find my uh, self-published works, it's under the One-Eyed Gambler on Wattpad.com. You can go there, you'll find them. And I'm also working on a bunch of character shorts that I'm probably going to start publishing individually, just like bios for the characters and short stories of their histories before I roll them into a um, book. And I've got about one, two, three, four, four different short character short stories saved up, ready to publish. Well, not ready, but they're as ready as they're probably going to be before I publish them. Um, so you're gonna flesh out the lore before you actually do the story. That's pretty cool. Sort of. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and like piecemeal it like a puzzle, right? Where you yeah. start at the corners and work your way in to the story. I know what story, like what kind of story I want to tell. Um, I want to go with sort of like a wandering hero's tale with a, almost like a feudal era, um, but set in the middle of a desert basically um not like arabian sand dunes aladdin desert but more like a like a northern michigan type of desert where you just it's a desolate waste and you've got like sand dunes that are like 60 feet high that you're just never going to be able to climb and it's actually cold during the day right but it's so dry that there's not enough moisture around to keep anything alive um, so I'm working on that um, the main character his I know his, his crux is basically going to be entropy um, and trying to work that in skillfully is very difficult 
because a lot of times when I'm writing his character stories, it sounds like everything is just about his entropy, right? And none of it is his skill. So it's very difficult to convey his skill as a as a character instead of just going, oh, it's his magic, or oh, it's his superpower, right? Um, so I'm working on stuff like that. But I like the new pieces I'm writing. Um, one of them is Asarima, Father of Lies. I've got that typed up. It's going to be coming soon. And another one is called Angel's Folly. And then, like I said, the other one that I'm working on, that I've been working on, is going to be Merchants of Dreams. I'm proud of you, man. That uh, gives me some fire under my ass to move forward. I was talking to my cousin the other day. I know my... <laughs> I know you're going to listen to this, cuz. And, uh... Thank you, bro. Uh, he was telling me about... Um, investing in crypto and stuff like that, which... Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about a little bit later, but... He was also talking to me about... Um, shout out to Nick's Morning Coffee. That show that he does with his dad. Mm-hmm. And he put some fire under my shoes as well about what he's doing over there and his uh his dreams for the platform they're creating over there and man I was like you know that really puts some fire on my ass to like keep moving forward with things that I'm doing yeah including podcasting streaming writing doing this whole coding stuff working out a bunch of other different stuff man uh so you know what I'm saying? We're really going to get in here. Seems like the one-eyed gambler has some stuff solid on the table. So Nimbus the AP is going to have to come back with a little bit of heat next episode. So we'll see. Better have something. Otherwise, I'm going to be making fun of you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Action steps. I will bully you into progress. Yeah, you will. Um, so Let's talk about what games we're playing. Because you... you you swiftly dodged that bullet and it's shooting back at you again. Because <laughs> I know you're not playing Apex, so we're going to start. Dude, we're going to branch right back fuck into that timeline. Apex. Dude, I'm kind of feeling the same way. Fuck Apex. I told you, you that. You could probably listen to an episode from four episodes ago <laughs> and hear me championing this game. And put it back on this one. And it's going to be a totally different yeah, Nimbus totally to AP. Different. How you feel about it now? I know you heard about the whole Skins Battle Pass fiasco mm-hmm. already, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I heard. Bruh. Break it down, though, for everybody else, because not everybody else is on the beat. It's crazy. So, basically, what they did is, you know, <laughs> Nimbus to AP, <laughs> Apex <laughs> Legends expert. Let me break it down for you right now. So, there's... Four different levels of skins. There's common, rare, epic, and legendary. Then you have, you know, well, there's tiers to this shit because there's regular legendaries that you can craft. They're accessible once you have the game. Then there's like legendaries you can only get in certain events, mm-hmm. like a collection event legendaries. Mm-hmm. And then there's like um, specific limited edition skins that you can get when you purchase the additions for that specific characters got those legendaries so it's like there's different tiers of like legendaries 
So now what they've done is they've taken the epic, the rare tier. Mm-hmm. They've taken all the epic skins, and well, they've taken <clears throat> epics above rare, right? You well, have com- you know, like common rare. You have epic. epics now being sold mm-hmm. for epic for like legendary prices in the Apex store now. Gotcha. They when they have money. rare quality artwork on the skin. Uh huh. So it's like before when you had an epic, you had like a skin that looks like some work was put into it, like. These skins that you get on the Battle Pass. That's why I was tied to this whole Battle Pass fiasco. Because, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Battle Passes would give you these epic skins Mm -hmm. that were only available in the Battle Pass. But they look like they had some work put into them. Right. And the Battle Pass is where you grind out uh, challenges and levels. You have 100 levels. And earn the skin. You grind out those levels. You earn your different unlockables. And these skins were one of them for mm-hmm. the specific characters. Right. So now what they're going to do is they're going to make these epic skins. They're going to resell all the skins from the previous battle passes and from the battle passes moving forward. Mm. At a price that you would normally pay for a legendary with the artwork quality of a rare level skin. Get out of here. Which is freaking crazy in That's my insane. You're devaluing the player experience, and you're devaluing your your company. And the next, you're devaluing the next game you're going to put to market by embracing this tactic, and you're further reinforcing the concept that you're nothing but a greedy company. EA Arts, Electronic Arts, is nothing but a greedy company that is still all about the money bags, right? Like, which has never been. They've never claimed not to be, but they try and get around the concept of uh, catching an M for mature rating on their game because they have gambling mechanics in their game, which are shown in research studies to be addictive, particularly to developing kids who play these games because they're under-regulated, they're under-managed, and parents are essentially checked out when kids play these games. And then they get parents get upset when the kid runs up a five hundred dollar tab on these loot boxes trying to get this rare skin. Yeah, dude. I was fucked. This is what I told you. Remember what I said about EA Arts? I still have the same argument towards the loot box system as I did before. But this right here This is a clear sign that disrespect to the players. I mean, yeah, kinda. It's, it's like a, it is a in-your-face market dollar-to-dollar depreciation of the time you've put in as a lawyer player. Well, the it's money more. You've put it's more about. Game. It's more about looking at where the money is being put because. Well, it's not going into the game. EA is making money, and it's going into a specific part of the game. It's going into esports, which. Mm. I don't know. Is that beneficial for the life of the game? I would argue that it is, but then it's like, is that what you? I mean, all right. 
Let's open up this can of worms. The game at a specific season started to cater to the fact that there was pro players profiting and generating buzz off of the name of Apex Legends. And that's a fact. And ever since mm-hmm. they found that out, they've kind of catered to them. These people are able to have large voices, get things changed about the core experience of the game, and affect change in that way. Whereas somebody who's regular like me can speak up about it for a whole year and they probably will never change it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that part of it is kind of crazy, but you can see how if these pro players bring more people to the game and the company sustains this growth in this area that the game continues to grow and that's good for all parties involved. But now you're telling me that you're going to charge more money for less quality so I can sustain that which sustains the game in that way but then the game doesn't even have the Right, but then you the know, skins honor, get cheaper, not better. It doesn't even have the honor to come back and bring me something of value that I've invested in. Because I've right. literally invested in... In your game. That, which brings us to the other point about crypto investment in video games, which is something that I just learned about. <laughs> um, which is kind of crazy. Because I know you're listening. You've talked to me about this too. Um... telling me about how we think the next crypto investment thing is going to be like cryptocurrency inside video games and take mm. the the token system that you yeah. have in a video game mm-hmm. and applying it into like the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain and stuff like that and how that might be the next route with this whole metaverse thing that we have going on right so you I mean because we already have metaverse so there's sort of something already like that, um, and it's not... There's it, some video games that are already like that, yeah. There are, but what I'm talking about is more like a black market deal where, where they transfer money via in-game gold. Well, um, and this is a, I think, this well, is a thing I think that, what he was going at is more of, this will be more of a core implemented thing. In, the, in each game. Right. Gotcha. That makes or sense. Or across, across a multitude of different games. Like, you have your Ubisoft studio, they have mm-hmm. Ubicoin, and you're spending that shit, whatever, and yeah. Assassin's Creed, or yeah. the Division, or whatever, and you know, freaking EA has EA Coin, and you're spending it in Madden, and in mm-hmm. 2K, and whatever other game, Forza, whatever you're playing, you're spending in that, yeah. or whatever. So here's, well, Forza I'm, isn't an EA game. I'm going to tell you why that's not going to work. But... Why is it not going to work? Why do you think it's not going to work? It's not going to work because what that does to a game with online currency is it, if if it becomes tied to everybody else, right? What that basically does, it makes it a public a public gold transfer forum for in-game mm-hmm. currency. RuneScape has had this for years. They have what's called the Grand Exchange. It's essentially a stock market um, for RuneScape that's based solely in the game. And well, pe- people build... Grand- Theft Auto has the same thing too. Gotcha. Yeah. People build bot bot accounts, scripts that run programs that just mass harvest raw resources in the game to generate in-game gold, and then they sell that gold IRL for real-world money. And this has been 
linked. That shit. Is, I mean, it's put there me are on. people who make to do it six hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> doing this as a side gig, right? Because they just run a bot farm, and if the bots get banned, they just open up another one. And they pro and they're getting smarter. Like that's the thing; they're getting smarter. Oh, they wait. jump worlds fast. Hey, um, weird RuneScape man sitting in your basement making six hundred k a year in his mods. Um, hit me up. Well, see, like here's the funny thing. Uh, that dude, A Space Podcast, I do like that dude hires <laughs> workers out of the collapsed state of Venezuela. What for cents on the dollar? He pays them ten dollars a day. Which is more than they can make doing anything in their state right now. And they play RuneScape all day and run these bots to try he's and a, fool the bot detection he's algorithm. He's a freaking hero. Right? So let's say this guy lives in Maryland. <laughs> he's literally subcontracting to one of the poorest countries in the world. And he is literally paying for like five or six households to gold farm. For him, and then he turns around and sells it to first world people, right? People in first world countries have disposable income for an inflated price. This leads to massive inflation in the grand exchange, right? So this would lead to massive inflation in a blockchain. And Jagex, the company that runs RuneScape, has just implemented a plan to try and help nerf this hard. It because bots. Man, why? I just, just learned too, about this. Everything I want to do to game the system is taken from me. So, oh. so for the longest time, they've Come been trying now. to just expand the anti-botting team. Um, there are literally like YouTube pages out there, professional YouTubers, RuneScape players who do nothing but hunt down bot farms and send the information in. Um, anyways, so Jagex decided because they can't keep up with the ramping number of bots... Right. The, instead, what they're going to do is they're going to deflate the gold value, literally by deleting items and gold from the game. Anytime, like certain items that are high high budget items for in-game currency, you know, that cost like a f- um, tens of millions of gold in-game or billions of gold in-game. Ooh, every me, like week or so, or however. I said, excuse me, chat. Like I'm straight. <laughs> So every couple of weeks or whatever, whenever, whatever the metric is for each item, um, or each quantity of item, if that if that quota is met on the grand exchange, X a number of those items will just be auto bought from Jagex themselves with fake current with digital currency. You get paid as the player for it. And then that item or that gold that you spent on that item gets deleted from the game. And what this does is it is intended to prevent the constant inflation and deflation of the market and the constant flipping and transference of uh, bot-produced gold in the game. And so the the anti-botting algorithms that they're instituting to get rid of the items and gold are going to be targeted at items and things that are commonly farmed by bots, things like that. Um, and then they're hoping, again, this just went into effect, so they don't know how well it's going to work, but they're hoping that that'll help curb the effectiveness of gold inflation in the game. 
and help stabilize it, which it looks like it has. The RuneScape online market for players has actually shot back up recently after it had been crashing pretty solidly for three months of just, like, in-game items and the value of gold is just, like, plummeting. Mm. They've also instituted a new algorithm to try and help track uh, purchases online uh, so that they can tell, or they're trying to be able to tell whether or not you're exchanging IRL money for in-game currency. So, I mean, is this something that they implemented that you weren't supposed to do? Yeah, so you're not supposed to, it is explicitly stated that you're not supposed to be, A, running third-party programs to farm the game, and B, you're not supposed to be harvesting gold to then sell for IRL. Um, It used to be, when it first started out, it caused a bunch of headaches for them, and a couple lawsuits were filed, things like that. You know, parents lost a bunch of money off their cards and out of their accounts, because their kids were buying gold. Um, So... Even even if even if you know Apex or um, the division end up going that way in future iterations, inevitably as bots pop up to farm that gold for IRL money, that the pretty much every company is going to end up where Jagex is. Jagex has been juggling this problem for over a decade. Why do you think the code of the video game would allow for a bot to be able to farm that currency? I think it's inevitable. Anything's hackable. If a man wrote it, a man can crack it. Is it hack? I don't know too much about blockchain, but if you're on blockchain, can you hack blockchain currency? Uh, there's debate around that. A lot of people would tell you no, but I also know a lot of people in cybersecurity that will tell you if it's digital, it is not secure, especially today. There's always going to be somebody that can find a workaround, find a way in, um, especially with... You know, online surveillance becoming as widespread it is, as it is, right? Like, people who use TikTok don't realize it, but it monitors, like, 99% of what you do on your phone. That has nothing to do with it, so it can better target you to keep you on the app, right? They want you to be swiping, like, every second. Damn. Yeah, the algorithm is, like, specifically geared to monitor how long it takes you to swipe and on which posts you linger the longest, and then feed you the ones that help that you stay on for like one to three seconds. And if you stay longer than that, it'll change the algorithm out so that it keeps you moving because every swipe generates money, generates. If you're going to go the way of the, the of, uh, anti-state, it, the more times you swipe, the more exposed you are to things that are going to inflame you, incite you, radicalize you, try and make you angry and destabilize you. Because that's what drives to, engagement. Or just trying to appeal to your sexual attraction. Or that. <laughs> you know? Whatever way they can get at you oh. that they think is most effective for causing engagement and uh, instigation. Why do everybody think that when you watch YouTube videos, right, mm-hmm. they all gotta get you mad? What if I like looking at big butts, okay? Well, dude, it's one of my like... favorite things is... So, like, when I... I'll notice... It's uh, just like... I'll go through, like, a two-week period, dude, where I will moderate my algorithm for like heavy heavy news mm-hmm. and then I'll spend literally like an entire day on like YouTube or whatever you know just on my phone only clicking on like the channels that I'm subscribed to for positive positivity vibes like animal channels right upload uploaded videos of like rescuing kittens and dogs or 
tigers or whatever watching those rehabilitation videos or those um, videos of baby animals, right, make me happier. They, are, they give me a positive endorphin rush to help balance that out, to help balance the dopamine drip that I'm dealing with. And all my those body videos, is constantly trying to regulate. All those videos, including Alex Jones' mm-hmm. channel. Yeah, I never really watch his videos. I only ever see him on everybody else's podcast. And then it's hilarious. No, it's so funny watching him because now it's like he now it's like uh he like really lost about half of his platform almost. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, I've platforms. seen him speak about it. He's got he has to pay like three times so, the processor so fees. Now he just goes to everybody done. else's shit. Yeah. Yeah. He just goes on everybody else's shit, blows <laughs> up their channel and their viewership. <laughs> and it's like, all right, cool. And it's like, all right, bro, microphone, drop him out. Yeah. <laughs> and then he still... It's kind know, of chaotic. Still makes his money, man. Yeah, I mean, he has his own network that's hosted on his own servers. He's so. a lot more chill now than he was back when I remember him. Yeah, he's older. Or, or uh, I don't know if that's just, like, I mean, propaganda. I watched the videos from his early days, and he's much more, like dogmatic about getting the truth out of people even if he you know had to step up you know to the line um of investigative journalism to and harassment you know have, he would straddle that line a lot in his earlier days whereas now i think he's just gotten so used to the way the system works and being outside of you know state-run established media and he every time they try and make a move he's just like oh this thing again ah fuck it I really don't think he like he cares, but I don't think he lets it get under his skin the way it used to. And he's also got a lot more positive influences around him. I know he said he's spoken before about like when he was younger, he had a lot of bad people working for him and around him. We were trying to push him in a certain direction that wasn't good for him. Um, so I think he's also in like a more supportive community of like independent creators. Whereas, like, before, he was one of, like, the only people. You think it, you think it was probably, like, he had people in his camp that were trying to push him to be, like, a white supremacist? Oh, for sure. Or, like, an alt-rider or something like that? Yeah, um, I'm sure there were people like that. I'm sure there were people who were planted there to try and subvert what he was trying to do and pushed him that way in order to make it easier to target him. Um, yeah, I could definitely And people, people can call that, you know propaganda or hysteria or paranoia but we've seen it time and time again in every political movement especially in our country in the United States where state sponsored I bro you got something eyeball dude I do I've been wrestling with it for like the past two or three minutes so you're saying state sponsored media yeah so you have state sponsored bad actors that are sent intentionally to infiltrate political movements they did it with Malcolm X's group they did it with MLK right they've done it they did it with the Black Panthers and they're sent in there to destabilize the groups and radicalize them we saw it with BLM right BLM literally posted when they caught FBI informants trying to get into the group trying to get an idea of their leadership structure Right in individual BLM cells, right? Why wouldn't you though? I get if it from it was... the state's perspective. I get it, but when you can look at the published 
records from like 30, like 40, see, 60 years ago that say... I would say, like to see where that started. It started with Hoover. Well, with no, the I'm talking about... The agency like, before the CIA. I'm talking about on a movement-by-movement movement basis. Like, all right, so for instance, Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. What was that point where the FBI figured out, like, okay, we got to start tracking these folks? You know what I'm saying? Because... They track pretty much every group that has any sort of presence anywhere in the in the United States. Yeah. Pretty I much mean, every single one. Now, not whether that, or not, not they're Not that regular, hard to where they're planting people close to you. True. Those, I believe, are really... That direction, that Because I wonder, I wonder if when it was like an all-black grassroots thing... Mm-hmm. Was it like, okay, we're tracking these folks, but we don't necessarily need to, like... Yeah, I mean, they did it with... They did it with SNCC. But then when... But then when Black Lives Matter protest... was sponsored thing. No, but listen, listen. Then when Black Lives Matter protest got, like... Gained some media traction. Mm -hmm. And then they started to attract out other types of groups. Mm -hmm. In solidarity. Then the FBI was like, okay, now they're... Linking up gotcha. now, we need to infiltrate. I would say, I would say, based on my studies of it in African American history, mm-hmm. whenever the progressive group or a what what the current system of power would consider a radical group gains public support, is when usually the office of power starts to divert FBI resources to intentionally start. Forming a profile and a structural map so that if it does become an issue, it's a, it's a prepare for the worst, hope for the best argument. Yeah. But they're always planning to use the worst possible options because it's inevitable that you're, as a movement, as a public supported movement, that you're going to upset the buck at some point. You're going to come for the salt tax, you're going to come for the people in power, and they want that information ahead of time so that they know how best to hit you. So that monitoring starts beforehand. I would say the direct implementation of putting people, trying to get people into the inner circles probably doesn't start occurring until somebody who can direct the FBI, right? Somebody at a, like a White House level or a director level looks at it and goes, okay, these people are a problem for the current agenda. We need to find a way to problematize them, make them a problem, and then drum up the media, storm around it, so that we can then have the support of the people to go after that group when we destabilize it. And I think that right now that's even more so important for the government to have that for themselves, right? Not from my personal perspective, but the government feels that right now that's even more important of a of a power hold to have because of the era that we're in where everybody has a cell phone is all connected to the internet right they can't just spend nine months trying to put somebody in a group right and then get them all the way to the inner circle it's a lot harder now everybody's a threat everybody's a threat now and so it becomes harder and they have to be more careful which means they have to have more information before they act and so that's why you see things like the Patriot Act fail to get repealed, right? That's why you have the Freedom of Information Act gets gutted and then re re 
established or reordered, right? You have um, the SEC gets gutted back in like the 80s, and then all of a sudden, you know, news reporters are like, oh, we don't actually have to report a fact as long as we have reasonable cause to believe that this is true. We can just report it. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And that's the country we live in. I report that my shit don't stink. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's true. It's insane, but that's how destabilization of groups works. Now we're living in time that if I think it's true, it's freaking true. No one can tell me anything otherwise. True. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy, up. right? <laughs> like, I, I remember I used to, when I would talk to people, I would always ask them, you know, I get their point of view and I go, okay, what do you need, what, like, what would it take to change your mind? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you don't have time to sit there and argue with people for two hours in the middle of the street, right? Just go, okay, what, what would change your mind? Like, what piece of evidence is there out there, hypothetically, that would make you understand what I'm saying and change your mind? And if I can provide that piece of evidence, I will try my best to get it to you. But if I can't, right, if it's something impossible... Like, if you told me, even if you had the evidence in front of you and you wouldn't believe it, then I can't. There's no conversation anymore. Because you put yourself in your own little box. And I get it. Like, sometimes it's easier to do that. It's simpler and safer to do that. But it's also then much easier for you to be controlled and manipulated. And, you know, you you got to try and help those people, but... They gotta want to. Ch- they gotta want the change. And if they if they've been beaten down by Fox News or CNN enough, then they just won't. I mean, I've seen it in members of my family, regulars that I would like go and hang out at a bar with, drinking buddies. You know, they're cool people until you bring up the ideology, right? Yeah. And then once you get into an ideologue conversation, it, it's like they don't even want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. They want those doggy treats. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to start calling it. <laughs> Have you hit up Arcane yet? Oh, bro. Get out of here. I done burned through that TV oh show. Oh, my gosh. I've I watched, watched it and rewatched it like two, three times. I should have known a League of Legends player. I was staying up and game. hosting Discord viewer parties for that shit, bro. <laughs> like, people. Bro, where was my invite? I knew you was asleep, you me on son. Oh my goodness! I'm what talking was this at one, I'm, two o'clock in the morning. I'm talking like two to seven in the morning. Oh fuck that! No, I can't do that. <laughs> well, never mind. So, a lot leave of my, my invite <laughs> in that fucking <laughs> NQ. Don't say I am right. <laughs> I am dead asleep. See, I know my brother. But no, it, it was a killer show. I uh, I had people watching it that, who had never even played League of Legends. For the record, if y'all haven't. Figured it up, and now we're talking about a TV show called Arcane on Netflix. It's about the video game League of Legends that I'm a die-hard player of, ten-year vet. And um, anyway, so I've had people who have never played League who like only watch me and my people play League, and they're like, "Why are you guys so toxic? Why does it make you so angry? You guys should really stop playing that game. Like, it's really unhealthy for you." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, it is." Oh, that sounds familiar. And they're, they're like, "Hey, like." I want to play League, and me and my League buddies are like, no, don't install this game. Like, don't do it. Like, it's not good for your soul. Stay innocent. <laughs> and part of it is true. Part of that is true. And that 
it is it, it can be a very tilting game like it like when you tilt off league you can be tilted for days off of one game with some ignorant fucking assholes in it um and you run into you know the racists and the bigots and the people who are literally trying to like get you reported oh you mean like call of duty yeah oh but um that game but so we had people watching this tv series so good each episode is about 40 45 minutes Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, ten out of ten. Good. Is there like a lot of story, or is it mostly action? Um, so it's both. So okay. the characters, their attitudes, their portrayals, their behavioral patterns, a hundred percent to the T. Okay. Um, but the first six episodes of Arcane sort of establish how these characters came to be in the universe and the way in which you play them in the game. Um, and so that part of it is very much like non-rote story by the time they're starting this project. And they spent seven years on this. Dang. Yeah, they knew that they had to get it right. Um, and they executed it so well. It's just so good. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. If you're going to spend nine hours or seven hours of your time on a Saturday binging something this holiday season, do yourself a favor. Watch Arcane. Do not watch it with your kids. It is not a kid-friendly show, okay? It is not kid-friendly. Is this because of the gore or... No, the gore is actually pretty limited, right? Because Riot is a Chinese-owned gaming company. China has very strict regulations about what you can display in your media. for the language? Language, violence, uh, sexual innuendos, um, flat-out murder that you see, right? But you're just not seeing blood, like... It cuts in like half a second after somebody gets shot in the back of the head and like somebody blows up a building and like kills six people and you're like, okay, like none of that, you know, is part of like the canon in the game. In the game, you know, these characters like don't kill in their backstories. Yeah. But when they flush it out, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like... They they're they're referring to anatomy as like baby makers and um it's it's graphic in some places. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Got to let them um, kids know where them babies there, come from. There's a whorehouse scene oh, where literally go. like one chick's pimping out another chick. It's it gets serious. So don't watch it with your kids. Oh, yeah. oh there my wasn't god. some alarming things in there, you know. Oh um, my god, it is. I wouldn't say. I mean, if your kid's like sixteen or older, they've definitely been online enough to hear about stuff like this. But it'll be too awkward to watch for sure. <laughs> it's not as bad as like Game of Thrones. If your nudity. kid probably watches child role play GTA YouTube videos. I think <laughs> it's pretty safe. <laughs> Oh man! But sometimes your kids be getting off in there in them little rabbit holes on YouTube. Yeah. When you washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. And I look up and I'm like, Yo, what the what the hell is that you be watching, <laughs> bro? Yeah. I'm about to block YouTube from the whole entire house. I told my wife, I was like, I'm gonna set up something to where YouTube is blocked. She was like, You know how much you get on YouTube? You're not gonna do that. 
Because uh, you can go on YouTube all the time. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do that. It's really not good for kids, though. All the research and science I've read about social media of any form, whether it's email or Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, right? Uh, message boards, Reddit, stuff like that. It's all 95% terrible for you. I mean, these kids, they got no followers. And they ain't following nobody. I'm just saying, parents, if you have to listen, heavy restrictive access is good. Okay. Mm, I ain't trying to have my kid locked down. No, but your kid's you know, going to get that exposure outside the house anyways. Yeah. Right? They need that restorative baseline. Because what happens, you know, is that is not that... It's not society is going to change a kid radically, although it might happen, you know. But it's that the problem is that their natural chemical biochemistry levels in their brain get way off kilter. Right, so when they get these dopamine hits on social media, right, it it's artificial inflation of the dopamine rush in your brain, and so then your brain downregulates the production of your natural dopamine, so, and then when you stop seeing that artificial hit, right, let's say you get off social media or something negative happens on social media, even worse, right, something negative happens on social media, now your kid who's still drastically vulnerable of like being the most like post in their friends group to a freaking crash in the complete opposite direction because their body isn't producing any more natural dopamine once your body crashes right once you come down from that dope dopamine high then your body starts to upregulate it again to balance you back out so you're on this up and down it's like the pendulum swing at a state fair you're, that's what your kid's doing that's what their brain is doing every time they're on social media. It's an up and down swing, and they're never at equilibrium. And if you do that long enough, especially in a young developing mind, because it's dopamine and it's so integral to the brain's chemical processes, it will fuck them up long term. And it takes a long time to fix a dopamine addiction like that. Now, I do intend to use that word addiction how we think of it. It will literally chemically alter the way your kids are able to perceive the world if I mean, like gratitude. they get too addicted yeah. to it. Like it changes how they perceive like something gratuitous or good for them, you know? Yeah, yeah, it can change. It can change gratitude into a cynical monster. It can change envy into bloodlust. It's very. It can be very dangerous, especially because kids are. Teenagers, in particular, are already so emotionally volatile, right? There have been spikes in teen suicide, teen self-harm, teen death in general, right? There's more manslaughter cases. There's more accidental deaths caused by, you know, incidents with friends. Um, death due to online uh, provocation is skyrocketed. Um, particularly self-harm in girls is up, like... 78% right and that's not new, this is not new information in the sense that we didn't know this was, wasn't happening we've known that this was happening for years this has been going on for about 15 years now so you have an entire generation and a half of kids who have been under this artificial doping effect from the natural progression of society and technology without any understanding of the long-term consequences 
We have that information now. Long-term consequences are in. Teens, drastically more vulnerable, more likely to have negative outcomes in life, period, with high social, medium to high social media activity as teenagers. That's the only conclusion any scientist I've talked to in tech development, ethics, tech ethics, studies, scientific research has ever come away with from any of the research they've done. All the papers I've read, terrible results long term for kids. And it's also terrible short term because they start to lose the ability to, to create social fabric for themselves. Right? They lose the ability to network in person. It becomes harder to look at people, communicate with people, see their emotions, read them and understand social cues. And when the room changes, when they've said something, they, it's harder for them to understand why people are offended. It's harder for them to get out of their box and make a friend or repair a friendship with somebody if they've damaged it in some way. Because they're filtering everything through their perception of online interaction and the real world does not function off of that. The real world has real world consequences, right? You tell somebody to go kill themselves after they've been on this huge down drop from their dopamine high, that kid is 10 to 40 times more likely to do that now in real life than they were 15 years ago. That's fucking insane. Yeah. It's, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's every freaking time I hear categorically this, dude, crazy. Every time I hear about this, it depresses me. <laughs> and like, and these oh, companies man. still have like Section 230 protections. Like mm-hmm. Jack Dorsey's now officially out of Twitter. The new CEO is, is he or he's officially I, resigned. Well, the new guy article. is in. It just went down today. Today, okay. yeah, uh, on the 29th of November. Jack Dorsey is out. New guy's in. The new guy's already given a freaking interview where he said that they are not responsible and not held to the First Amendment. Oh, my gosh. He's literally quoted saying, it is our job to not be restrained by the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. That's fucking crazy to me. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, that is categorically nuts. So, so like, what he means is that... It's Twitter's job to, like, say whatever they want? Is that what you mean? No, it's their job to run censorship. Oh, okay. I'm like, which you can't do at scale, which has been proven. Like, it's impossible to do it at scale. The same way it's impossible for Jagex to control all the bot farms. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's too hard to tell until after they've been established and a pattern of behavioral has been identified and go, okay, that's probably a bot, not a human. Um... Bots are also are really, really, really disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Facts. Oh my goodness, doing um, the same thing all the time. Yeah. But you know, then there's the whole other facet of it is is that which is just terrifying to me, is that it's all a gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's no way that these companies are going to get regulated by our government of the people we elect because they spend more money lobbying our government than the defense department does. Our defense contractors, right, like Boeing and uh, Browning 
um, black water, things like that, they spend less money donating to the political elite class in our country than the social tech companies. The social tech companies are in the top three categories, or excuse me, the top three slots for lobbying donations to campaign fundraisers for our political class. That's crazy. That is pretty crazy. Right? Everybody's always bitching about how much defense budget is, right? There's a reason for that. It's because they're getting money to bitch about that. Right? Right? Like Jeff Bezos, Amazon, second largest lobbying group in D.C. Yeah. Facebook is the only people who beat them. You think they're giving money to the Republicans? Absolutely not. No. They're giving all that money to the to the blue team. So the blue team will meta. raise a will raise a shit storm. Yeah, meta. <laughs> will raise a shit storm about the defense department and defense contractors. And I'm not opposed to that. I think there should be a high level of scrutiny when you're talking about weapons of mass destruction that you're just distributing to people across the country who then use it on our troops in those areas. Right, that's a Isn't that crazy? that's a whole nother fucked up thing. That's, that working. that in and of itself is its own podcast. You could be working in a weapon manufacturing facility or some business associated with the business that supplies the weapons. That somebody that lives down the street from you went off overseas to go fight a war, and they get killed by something that you had a direct hand in mm-hmm. helping yeah. deliver. To that person. Yeah. But you're a worker in the U.S. thinking it was going to the U.S. Army. That's right. Crazy. And it did. It did go to the military. And then the military That's used it crazy. as part of a cash buy to pay a fucking warlord off somewhere in the, in, else in the world. Who then had a falling out after he made an agreement with the CIA or with a general. Now that they've had a falling out, guess what? They've got 20,000 U.S. made fully automatic assault rifles pointed at our troops. Because that was a good plan. And it happens all the time. Like, the, um, the Iraq papers detail, detailed it out. There was something like, it's like $1.8 billion worth of uh, weaponry has gone missing since the Middle East War started. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you Where mean? Go Where'd that $1.8 billion go, bro? Where's that ammo? Where are those guns? Where's all that metal, dude? <laughs> oh my god, like that's so crazy. You're talking about a million guns, right? If you just take the average price um, of like your standard assault rifle or sniper, right? You're mm-hmm. talking close, or and then handguns. You're talking close to a million guns or more gone missing, plus ammunition rounds, vehicles, other gear, like. Bold profess, night vision goggles, thermal lenses, full scale bombs that just go missing, like C four, like okay, and they're like, they're just like, yeah, we're just gonna write that off. It's fine. What? That's insane. Rubber bullets, right? And that's what that's what the blue team gets told to argue about and raise hell about by Bezos and Meta or Facebook. Hey, hey, dude. Hey. Do you ever think the same rubber and rubber bullets is used to make a dildo? 
I would imagine so. <laughs> I'm just saying the 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 uh, properties of polyurethane. Dude, uh, they go both ways. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm just saying it's possible. I haven't actually looked into that. You know who will. Even in all the research I've done on pornography, that was never a thing that we worried about in the research. <laughs> Way more comfortable saying random thoughts on the podcast than I was before. That's good. I think this calls for a break. All right, let's, let's take a let's break. break. We'll get another beer. While we take a break, we want to thank everybody again for returning to the podcast. First of all, we'd like to remind you that if you've been listening to the previous podcast, have heard that we're such a premium podcast those codes no longer work so don't try to use them folks the second thing is there's a little bit of housekeeping that's going on the previous episodes of the podcast will still be available but we'll be changing the name of the podcast to grayscale so keep a look out for that we're not going to shout out the socials because they will change thanks for tuning in and we're getting back with the second part of the podcast <laughs> so I did call you the other day because yeah, I need to talk about it. Yeah, you did. You was on the edge of a hinge, bro. Uh, yeah, it's just I just didn't see from a certain perspective where the public had gotten disillusioned to the fact, the simple fact. That you should not be chasing dudes in the street that have guns. <laughs> no matter what the purpose is. It's it just is. not It's not cool to be chasing a dude and trying to beat him up and he has a gun. I mean... It's not smart. I wouldn't recommend no. it. Um, and I, I just... I, uh, my, my thing is... What did you think was going to happen? Right. Like it's the same thing that... I try to teach my kids is like what did you think was going to happen you jump up and down you stomped your feet you screamed really loud you really need a woman yeah you chase a dude down that has a gun and he feels for his, fears for his life you need to get shot like I don't I don't know that the I the think, public outrage disconnected from the fact, and I explained this to you. I do agree with the fact that had someone else of a different skin tone, different like racial background, different ethnicity, different cultural s- subset, mm-hmm. had they been in his shoes. They probably wouldn't have made it out the street. They probably got shot dead in the street. Or they probably would have been arrested. They probably would have been on trial, found guilty, whatever. It just it wouldn't have got the same treatment. I'm not arguing against that because I believe that. But, like I was telling you, had I been in his exact same position as a gun owner and... I'm not even talking about hard facts here, like, in reference to, like, like just the facts. I'm talking about feeling like, and that's the thing, because when you're, like, in, 
and like getting your gun and you're training for that they teach you to like know what you're feeling but at the same time analyze around you not only to make a safe and clear shot but also to ensure that in the long term this is going to be a good decision for you right like I don't get how people don't understand that for me I would like to be in his shoes and if I feared for my life given all the information that I have if I shoot somebody and kill them I would want to have some type of understanding and some type of you know grace granted upon me because you know I'm running I think I'm helping I feel like I'm helping and people are chasing me with this mob mentality Mm -hmm. and apart from everything else that's happening people are running past me hitting me they may be hitting me with rocks they may be hitting me with something Skateboard. This one guy throws a freaking plastic bag filled with air that essentially flies through the air. I mean, that was the thing. People like, it's a bag. I mean, right. If you watch the video, what freaking bag travels at that speed and trajectory? Yeah, there was clearly the something in the bag. Exactly. So, I don't know a, what it is. I'm just getting attacked. It could be a flashbang. It could have been... Exactly. Uh, it could have been what we call a wasp nest, which is a non-lethal deterrent. Uh, it's basically a explosion of rubber bullets from a hard case. It could have been something like that. There's no way to know, um, especially when you're running and all you see is something over your shoulder and you hear a gunshot behind you, so you turn around and... Well, you hear a gunshot behind you, you, and then you hear footsteps. I don't care about... Correct. Like, okay, you turn your head to see behind you. What What if you don't turn your head? Like, I'm thinking about what I'm... The state of mind I would be in. Yeah, you hear a gunshot. I hear one shot, you. and then I hear a pat, 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 pat. I'm getting ready to shoot. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. No, I, like, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's... More than a reasonable assessment, especially when you're being chased by the guy who hours earlier said that he was going to hunt down and kill you, which seems to be a thing that was touched on and then left in the in like the side lane of the argument by a lot of things. But I think the biggest issue with people and their perspective, um, both on this case and on the Arbery case, is a matter of being too plugged into to one news network or being plugged into a couple news networks of mainstream news that are basically saying the opposite of what the other person said on a different channel and then they think that they have all the facts they think that they made a well-reasoned conclusion because they watched both large news networks or a couple of large news networks and therefore they've gathered all the information they need to form an opinion and they don't give thought as we've spoken about previously on this podcast about the fact that the media is actually legally allowed to publish misinformation now they are allowed to publish disinformation now 
as long as once they're shown to be wrong, they quote unquote write a correction, which they don't always do. There are a fair number of New York Times articles that have not been corrected that have been shown to be incorrect. It just depends on how much pressure you apply to them. Um, or if the information is deemed to be subjective. Correct. If the information is subjective, but it's not listed as an as an op-ed piece, then it becomes um, a, a very blurry line between whether or not that article is factually relevant um, and whether or not that news source is factually reliable, right? And people don't think about this a lot in my experience. Um, and by a lot, they don't think about it enough. They do not critically analyze their news sources uh, for the veracity and the reliability of those sources. They simply go, this is the one I trust, that's what I'm going to look at, and that's what I'm going to base my opinion off of. When you shouldn't trust anybody to tell you what's going on. If they're giving you anything other than the facts, throw that out. Keep only the facts and make your opinion based off of those facts and what you would do based off of your life experiences. I've got to tell you, I watched a lot of the videos. I've had arguments about it with my family. Um, the video, both videos that I watched, the, the longest ones that I watched, that clearly showed uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and his aggressors clearly depicted self-defense to me. But the problem with self-defense is that it gets funny, legally speaking. When you're in a fight, for instance, whether it's a hand-to-hand -hand fight or a gunfight, who is the aggressor, aka attacker, and who is defending changes with the flip of a coin. Um, the question simply boils down to whether or not when you attack somebody else is it a justified form of self-defense meaning uh, for instance when when third guy when Gage of when Grosskorts when third guy has couldn't the gun. wrestle the gun away from Kyle he pulled back mm -hmm. right and then he pulled out a gun and advanced at Kyle right when he backed up from Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse didn't immediately shoot him in the heart. Isn't it crazy that the one or, with the excuse gun me, he didn't, didn't even shoot die? him in the bicep? It's so he crazy. He didn't shoot him in the bicep until Grosskorts came back up to stand over him with the gun in his hand, pointed at him. And I think the I think the problem he there, testified to this. I think the problem in the trial, there with public opinion. Is that people don't understand, and shoot, I probably won't understand until I get in a situation of my own where I have to defend myself. I'm just going off a of second hand here is that people don't understand that when you're in those life or death moments, that is going so slow motion for you, and you're reading and calculating because you're full of adrenaline. Yeah. But in that video, it happened so quick. Mm hmm. That people, if they don't slow it down and look at it, they don't see, like, what's going on. 
but I'm definitely sure that Kyle does like in real time. Like that's why, man, this world is it's a dangerous multi-dimensional place. in its own realm. Cause like when you're watching the video, this thing happens like that, and you're like, man, he made a split-second decision and didn't really think about it. But if you're in Kyle's shoes, man, that should happen over the course of like that split second, that half a second decision, or that one second decision. And it looks, hey, he he's like down on the ground, pop, and another dude come pop. That's like a second or two seconds. That must have happened in like five to ten seconds in real time frame, where he saw that shit in slow motion and had to make his decisions. Yeah. And it's not easy, dude. And yeah, it's difficult. People fail to, to see it's that. It's difficult to think. About the ramifications when your life is in jeopardy. You're trapped yeah. in that moment until you're officially out of it. And there's no other way around it. There have been a few times where I've had my hand on my gun and I've had to make a decision about whether or not I'm going to pull it. Because if I'm pulling it, I need to make sure that it's. You're ready to use it. That it's gonna get fired because otherwise it's just gonna escalate. If I'm not gonna, if you cannot, should not pull your gun out. In my opinion, as a gun owner, you should not pull your gun out unless you are going to fire it. Now, people say, "Well, that's kind of crazy." Well, there's a difference in in the way you carry your gun, right? Like you can't conceal carry a long rifle. If well, you could try, it'd be very difficult. Right? So that would be considered a case of open carrying. You're wearing your deterrent on your sleeve to prevent having to pull it out and use it, right? By displaying it. Um, whereas if you carry a sidearm, a handgun, it's easier to conceal. And you do have to deal with that open quandary of do I pull this out? Is the situation escalated to the point where I believe I can't get out of it without this? And if you're going to pull it out, you should be ready to use it. It should not be a thing that you're going to hesitate about after you pulled it out. Because if somebody else sees that you've hesitated after you pulled it out, that's going to gaslight them. They might go for it. They might escalate the conflict instantly out of fear, out of instinct to survive. Um... And, but these are the differences between open and concealed carry. These are the quandaries and the judgment calls you have to make before you pull your gun. I think in Rittenhouse's case, it was much more obvious that he felt that he would have to use it because he was being chased. Um, and after he shot and killed Rosenbaum, when he was attempting to give Rosenbaum first aid the group of people around him and not directly around him but a few feet away started shouting get him get him get him right so he immediately goes he's still stuck in fight or flight and he is trying to run yeah and then he gets chased down again knocked to the ground somebody tries to wrestle the gun away he shoots and kills them instantly Everybody else get him to the man that got some freaking has a carving ready to 
It's. I just it's don't not, understand that. How y'all gonna get him? It's not a smart choice. But if y'all do get him, don't think intelligently. That's the thing. They don't think that way. Um, Grosskorts even thought that you know he could fake the punt, so to speak. He put up his hands mm-hmm. and tried to make Kyle drop his guard, and then he immediately went for his Glock and advanced, which is when he was shot, which he testified to on the stand in front of everybody. There's tons of places you can go watch the footage of the trial. Go watch it if you think that we're incorrect. You can find it if you look. and It's not hard to find. Yeah, and most people haven't looked at the video. And they also haven't looked at the video. Um... Now, the thing that disturbs the shit out of me about this whole thing is not the self-defense. Mm-hmm. And it's not the the case of one defending themselves amidst uh, a large protest with violence on the fringes of it. It's that he went up to the police to try and surrender himself and oh, they yeah. waved him through. Exactly. Like, well, no, a, they told him to go home. Well, he told them... I'm not sure if he explicitly told them what he did or if he simply said that somebody had shot somebody else. No, he said, I shot somebody. He said, I shot somebody? Yeah. Gotcha. And then they just wave him on, right? Now, if that had been a brother... Oh, yeah. They... Like, he wouldn't have even gotten to talk to them. They'd have seen him running up the street with a gun in his hand. Oh, yeah. And they'd have have made the judgment call. I guarantee you that would have gone a different way. Especially with the name of the advocacy group, Black Lives Matter. You see a dude running up with a gun yeah. towards the cops and a crowd chasing Right. That would have been it. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt in my mind, those cops immediately would have freaked out and executed terrible, terrible judgment. Um, I, it, but it still baffles me that even if they didn't shoot Kyle while he was running up to them with the gun, albeit the gun was at his side... Um, yeah. Eventually, he he had it at a forty-five degree angle as he was running to stabilize it, and then once he got within shouting distance of the cops, he switched it uh, down to his side and raised his hands. From what I saw in the videos, and then he approached, but that they didn't detain him and put him in a bus or a car or take his information or anything. Right, yeah, that, was that was insane. Ins- that's insane. Even in that state, like the, it's not like the cops were in the middle and of then, the fray, right? They're on yeah. the fringes of the fray, standing by, waiting because they've been ordered not to interfere. And then he goes on to the police Jeez. station and waits there for a minute. Yeah, and no one comes, and mm. it's like where that is the that biggest, is that is the that's issue. The biggest that what? is the issue in that whole thing is that the cops even when they were told to stand down still did nothing when somebody tried to come forward and do the the legally correct thing right unless unless that's crazy unless it was happening behind the scenes something was brewing could have been could have been um but i don't know like i've i've seen times where talk to cops where they're told you know ignore petty crimes because of this high security incident going down you know we're only going to spare people if we can i've seen and interviewed cops about that but i don't understand where 
you get the judgment call as a police officer to say, somebody coming up to me with a gun who says that they just shot and killed somebody is not a high priority. That is not a petty crime that you can dismiss. That's not a smashed in window, cars getting looted, right? That's not that. That's literally somebody admitting to you that they just killed another human being. And the cop's like, go home. That boggles my mind that any officer would have that situation in front of them and make the judgment calls that they did. It was crazy. And I don't understand why the media isn't talking about the dereliction of duty shown by the cops. Like, not all cops in general, but those specific cops at that corner where Kyle went to completely disregarded the entire thing. And no one's no one's talked about any of that. That's crazy. That's terrifying. And I've heard people say, you know, police weren't doing anything anywhere that night. Defund the police movement has caused low morale and cops don't want to do anything and all the good cops are quitting. Okay. But this was like two years ago. Or, excuse me, a year ago. You're going to tell me all the good cops who have now quit over the vaccine mandates or what have your arguments be weren't on the beat then? You're going to tell me those cops weren't there to do their job? They just showed up in full tack gear for fun to go LARPing. That doesn't make any sense. That well, like, yeah, for the extra money, you know? <laughs> Jeez, it just boggles my mind that 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 is not more talked about and that that is not more argued. Even in the prosecution and defense cases and the arguments presented, the defense never brought up the fact, except maybe in opening arguments, I don't believe they ever brought up the fact that the cops were literally doing nothing. Why would you? Because... the district attorney, right? Well, the DA, but it, it puts... It calls into question the safety of the area in general, right? Can the prosecution even say he was provoked if he simply wasn't safe in that area at all? Right? That's what it brings up. But, mm-hmm. again, it, the video evidence was damning enough for this prosecution. When their key witness, Gage Groschkowitz, who also by the way, was there with a gun he illegally obtained. Uh, he literally testified that it was a self-defense shooting on Kyle's part. Like, that killed everything. You know, there's the meme still frame of the prosecutor just, like, holding his head in his hands. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, just I saw watching, one that says, this is the moment you knew you fucked up. <laughs> yes, at this moment. You knew you fucked up. <laughs> it's uh, oh. I, from I mean I watched all of that trial mm-hmm. and of the Rittenhouse trial, and it it completely, in my opinion, looked like the prosecution got sandbagged. Like they were like, we don't want this case. We're not trying this case. We don't want to do this case. And the head DA was like, oh, no, I'm going to be running for re-election. We're trying this case, even if we lose. So that I, when I'm running, I can say I tried. High profile. Yeah, it's a yeah. high profile case, but he doesn't want to take, the DA didn't want to take the heat for losing, so he gave it to the ADA. 
and a backup. And the backup clearly had never written a single freaking closing argument in his life. That closing argument was stupid. Certifiably stupid. I never saw that. It was terrible. He he said you lose your right to self-defense when you bring a gun to a fist fight. Oh, yeah. Hey, and it wasn't was... a fist fight. They had weapons and for bludgeoning and also, gross courts, had a gun. Okay? Other people had a gun. Witnesses said there were multiple gunshots fired, right? Not just by Kyle Rittenhouse, okay? Exactly. And yes. also, if you're defending yourself, nowhere in the book of survival does it say you want it to be a fair fucking fight. No. This Get that honorable hunter prey mentality bullshit out of the courtroom. It doesn't apply. If you are in a fight for your life, you do not want it to be a fucking fair fight. You don't want a 50-50 shot at living, okay? That's insane. That dude doesn't know anything about guns, doesn't know anything about fighting, look like Porky the Pig, okay? Knows nothing. Yeah. It was the craziest sentence I heard the entire case. Seriously. I was like, God. Like... The implication of that statement is that everyone showed up there for a freaking brawl from, like, West Side Story. Like, that is not what happened. Oh, they got a West Side Story, all right. Jeez. They got their own floor (laughs) in the morgue. Each one of them. Yep. I'm surprised that third dude made it out, though. You know, like I was saying earlier... I find it funny that the one with the gun made it out alive. I think what it honestly was was Rittenhouse was probably trying to adjust to that side of the body mm-hmm. because that's where the gun was. Like he just probably instinctively jerked that way. Yeah, and he hit him in the arm. Um, and the fact that his arm is still attached probably just means <laughs> that the round itself was probably just a lower, a few grains lower. And yeah. there's probably a few grains less of powder in the cartridge behind the bullet than in the other bullets. Anybody who's ever fired a gun at a gun range or through a chronograph knows some rounds have just a few grains of powder left, less than the others. And you don't think it makes that big of a difference, but it really does. You know, when you're talking about the damage that a bullet can do, 20, 20 to 40 pounds worth of explosive power makes a difference. It does. It makes a difference as to whether or not your arm's going to be attached and you're going to live long enough to get to the hospital or your arm's going to be blown off and you're going to bleed to death. It makes a big difference. And fortunately for Kyle, Kroos Kreutz lived, in this case, to testify that it was a self-defense shooting. Um, now, as far as the Arbery trial goes, I think the Arbery trial was decided correctly as well. Um, I have not seen any footage, or I will not speak on that. Okay, I've not seen any footage. I haven't kept up with that. I don't know anything that's going on with that. Well, I'll speak on it. Okay, because this was, of in, in my opinion, very open and shut. The only question in, in to the court that I could find any plausible reason to entertain was that they were trying to determine whether or not 
these three guys had knowledge pertinent to be able to commit a citizen's arrest. And I say commit because it's not performing. You are committing a citizen's arrest. Do you have the necessity to do so? That knowledge, based on the way it was written in that state law, basically says you have to have immediate, pertinent knowledge that a crime was committed in your presence, which they did not. What the um, defense was arguing for the three men involved was that the immediate knowledge they claimed to be having was that they had heard about a suspect in the neighborhood matching his description at other points during the week. Right? So that's what their argument was about knowledge. Now, the second part of that is that you have to be in an immediate danger, right? There has to be a present threat. Their argument is his presence in the neighborhood is a threat. But that doesn't hold up because your neighborhood is a public neighborhood. Right. Right? Anybody can jog through there. Anybody can walk through there to get from one side to the other. Right? So if you're in your house, which they all were on your private property... And the person Why are you about what's going on outside? And the person in question is not coming onto your property, is not trespassing you. You There's are not no in immediate danger. Da- you are not in immediate danger. Yeah. Right? Instead what happened was they went out to commit a citizen's arrest when they didn't have the authority to and they didn't have the reasoning to. They went out to be a fucking vigilante and the, what's sad is that the third guy only went to record, and now he's in jail for life. That's the fuck thing. He's in jail for life simply for recording. Yep. Right? Um, I mean, because all in all, you contribute to it. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Amen. Yeah. And I think, I don't know that I would have given him the same sentencing, but I think what happened was that because he was tied to it, Minimum sentencing laws came back into effect, and I've argued about minimum sentencing laws for years now, and how terrible they are, and how they they take away the jurisdiction, the jurisdictional power of the court, and it imbalances the checks and balance system. But putting that aside, that's probably why he got the minimum sentencing that he did, um, even as an accessory. And I think those three idiots. Should never have been allowed to own guns. I know, I believe one was a former cop. But clearly, they were out of their depth. And chasing somebody down in in vehicles and trying to trap them and prevent them from leaving until the police arrive is unnecessary. It is the same exact behavior that we saw in the Zimmerman case in Florida that led to an unnecessary death... And it is the same thing here. Unnecessary death created by false fear that people instigated on themselves. And it's just, it's so sad. Uh, it, as angry as I am and as glad as I am for the verdicts and the way that they went, it, all of it is fucking sad. All of it is sad that, you know, we don't, we, the, all of these citizens feel like they can't wait for the cops. Right? They feel like that the cops just aren't going to come. 
that they're not reliable, that you can't trust them to do their job. And it's hard to tell people to, to still do that in light of everything that we've seen in the last year and a half or in, in light of any of the cases where the blue wall has put up its barriers instead of being transparent with the people in their community. But running out and attempting to detain somebody when you don't know if they're armed and dangerous, you don't know what, they're, what they have, you, but you're going out to be a vigilante citizen and quote-unquote do the right thing is almost always a recipe for disaster. It's high risk, high loss. There is no reward to it. And clearly these guys didn't think it through. I don't care what people are alleging about Aubrey. There's no evidence that directly ties him to any crimes. Ergo, he is innocent. It's innocent until proven guilty. Which is why citizens' arrests are just so incredibly dangerous. Because you don't have the information nine times out of ten to do that. You know, if you're an offbeat officer and you see somebody that you know is a wanted criminal, that's different. This, the Aubrey case never should have happened. It, it was terrible. And I'm glad that the proceedings went the way they did and that his family got his day in court and got the justice system to finally do something correct. But it's just so heartbreaking that it had to happen. That it did happen, rather. And I, for one, am glad that those three guys are not sitting at home anymore waiting for somebody else to go kill. You know, weirdly enough, I'm looking over the articles here, and it just does not give a time period for what the sentence was. They may not have issued a um, they time not yet. Done sentencing yet. Yeah, they may not have issued a okay. sentencing yet. Gotcha. But accessory to murder in Georgia, I believe, is a life sentence. Sheesh. Just... Because the 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 murder sent the murder crime itself is a minimum of like twenty five to life, I believe, and then therefore, if you're an accessory, you can also be um, sentenced with that. Now, again, I don't know how minimum sentencing is going to apply to an accessory, but it doesn't look good. No, no, it's all just a terrible tragedy. Jeez, man. I... Like, it's it's a hard choice, like I said, whether or not to pull that gun out and defend yourself, even if you have it. Like, there have been times I've just been, like, I'm sure, you know. And then other times where it's just like, you wait eight more seconds, and what you think is a threat de-escalates and removes itself from your proximity. You know? Yeah. I mean... Like, there is a domestic... My thing is, when we're talking about... And this is where I want to kind of... Tie it up. Into, like, firearms training. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, when I was training... I don't see the issue of when you're in a situation... Drawing your weapon... And having it at the ready and showing it. Mm -hmm. Having it pointing down... Away in a safe direction and away from anybody 
letting them know you're ready to tango. Mm-hmm. Now, that part about the Rittenhouse case, they said the gun was in the gentleman's hand during the whole scuffle. And then he had it up in the air. Mm-hmm. And then went to go point it towards him. And then that's when he got shot. I don't know. That That's what Grosskortz testified to. That's okay. his own testimony. So, if I'm in a situation with somebody, that's kind of what I would do. I'd have my gun in my hand. That's what I was trained to do. Point in a safe direction. Mm-hmm. You know, possibly at the ground. Right. Away from anybody. And then if I'm ready, snap on target. Boom. Kill him. I don't feel like that's an issue. You mentioned something about that earlier. Yeah, so... And it's... I was like, you you were saying, if you're going to draw, be ready to take a shot. Correct. Uh, I would say, for me, I've been trained to, when you take your draw, be ready to take, to take a shot. But you don't have to... No, you have a shot and you're going to shoot before you draw, I think. No, 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 that's not what I was saying. Uh, What I was referring to was the difference between the instance in choosing when to draw your weapon when you are Mm -hmm. concealed carrying versus open carrying. Oh. If you're open carrying, it's much easier to access your firearm, so you Mm -hmm. may consider the situation and go, it's far enough away, I don't need to have it drawn right now, that would be, that would run too much of a risk or you might be too close quarters and pulling the weapon out might cause an escalation and somebody else might get the gun away from you um whereas with concealed carrying you have to go through the trouble of accessing the concealed area usually there's a a a much heavier clip on a concealed carry holster Mm -hmm. that you have to deal with um and so that takes more time it's only like a second or two with good training but mm-hmm. with with average training it can be three or four seconds to get it out of a holster and then be able to defend yourself so drawing when you see a situation escalating is a very common uh, training technique to avoid fumbling with the weapon in the holster and then losing control of it mm-hmm. um, especially within certain ranges you know if anybody's closer than like 18 feet you don't want to be fumbling with your holster if you're going to use your firearm to to defend yourself they will get on top of you before that when people are running people don't understand this if they haven't done gun training or combat training it is not hard to close distance on somebody if it's less than 25 feet it actually you you cover that distance very quickly when you're running full blast at somebody because you've determined it's a fight for survival, right? Whether you're attacking them or they're attacking you, they move, they cover that ground quick. It's mm-hmm. not like a jogging stride. They are bolting. They're covering three to four feet in a, in a jump, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very dangerous. If they're within 25 feet of you, it is very dangerous to just keep your holstered weapon not at the ready. Um... To which your point, I, I would agree in that having it drawn and pointed downward safely away from people is the best bet. You know, generally speaking, in front of you at a 45 degree angle so that you're at the ready to snap to target and not accidentally lose track of them or things like that. Um, 
But again, that's that's the difference between open and concealed carry. In an open carry case, that open carry might be deterrent visually enough for your aggressor. Once they get close enough to see it on your side, that that might be deterrent enough to make them back off. Um, but I also understand the tactical advantage of having a concealed carry, you know, gives you a distinct advantage. So if somebody does come up on you, they don't know, right? That gives you the element of surprise, which is a great advantage. And then also, you don't have to deal with the cautionary tales, right, that many gun owners have to always remember is that if you're going to open carry, it's going to freak people out. Right. You're going to be a target. Especially, a lot of especially say, my gun because yeah. my gun is a three fifty seven revolver. It's not small. It yeah. doesn't tuck in. It doesn't look like it's in like a cell phone holder. Okay, it's very obvious. Yeah. Um, it tends to make people stare at you, and when you open carry any gun, it freaks people out. So they're gonna call the cops. They're you're gonna have run a much much higher risk of having a cop interaction while armed. Which generally means you're going to have guns pointed back at you by law enforcement, generally speaking, or by security guards who are going to tell you to disarm yourself, get on the ground, put you in handcuffs before they even bother having a conversation with you, even though it's t- even if it could be your right to open carry in your state, right? These are things you have to worry about when open carrying, whereas in concealed carry, you don't have that provocation issue, which is why... Myself and pretty much every other gun owner I know recommends getting a concealed carry license, period. Yes. Period. Well, also for the ease of purchase, but we're not going to talk about that one. Yeah. I walked straight into the store and was like, yeah, I want that one. Here's They're my like, license. Okay. This shows I have the training. I've passed the certification process. Right. I have this, which means I'm my background checked good, but you got to run it anyways, you know, just in case anything else has popped up since. Yeah. I got the license. Background right. check gets run every time. Like a crazy ex. Yeah, like a crazy ex. <laughs> um, background check gets done every time, but you don't have to go through the two-week or month-long processing period for approval um, for your purchase permit. But not all states are that way. <laughs> so not all concealed carry licenses are the same and uh, not all concealed carry licenses are recognized by other states as valid concealed carry licenses. South Carolina sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ohio State, ironically, Ohio has the highest what they call reciprocity, meaning where <clears throat> if you have a concealed carry license in Ohio, it's valid in most other states. I think it's like 43 other states recognize Ohio's concealed carry policy. Which is, mm-hmm. that's saying something. Um, but this gun app. training is... I bought this app on my phone. It tells you exactly what the reciprocity is. That's a good one to have. And, uh... You got a CCPA yet? Uh, I do not have that yet. Okay. I was Hold thinking on. about getting mine. I'm gonna find this application. It's around here somewhere. That's what's up. But, um, so, I would certainly say training, again, it depends on the scenario. How you execute your training changes from scenario to scenario. Uh, Whether or not you're concealed or open carrying. Um, 
whether or not there's a mob around you, a group of people, um, especially when, you know, it could be a mix of protesters and people trying to attack you, then things get very complicated. Um, in general, if you're in the public space and you have to draw your weapon, it's already incredibly complicated because of the number of civilians around and the risk of ricochet, <clears throat> which is why you should always have hollow points, not lead nose tip. Lead nose tip are just way too likely to go through your intended target and hit somebody else and still cause severe damage. Hollow points are scientifically designed to expand on impact to cause high damage to the to your intended target and little to no damage to another target if another target is hit by a pass-through bullet. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot when it comes to high-velocity rounds like you have in a long rifle, but as far as we're talking about for handgun and self-defense, hollow points are considered a safer round than a lead nose tip in the gun community due to specifically it's 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 hollow points ability to lose velocity on impact with a target and not cause uh, severe damage to anything else that it could hit right and it it expands no matter what target it hits right so if you miss and it hits the ground it'll expand and ricochet or it'll fragment apart if it hits something very hard. Um, if it hits a car door, what have you, it'll expand and it drastically slows the velocity down and reduces the risk for ricochet damage and trauma to uh, other civilians in the area. And if, like I said, you shoot directly on target and you get a pass-through shot for some reason, it will still drastically expand inside the first target and it will not cause as much harm to the second target or should not I, I guess I have to clarify that it should not physics can be weird as I pointed out um, in a pass through shot you're typically not hitting a lot of bone you're typically not seeing a lot of damage initially to the bullets or as much as you would from a bullet that bounced off of a bone. And then you're also dealing with um, the variance in the grains of powder in a bullet, which, you know, particularly in handgun ammunition, it can vary a lot more than it does in rifle ammunition. Um, and the type of ammunition you carry matters. I've seen some ammunition that you know, just drastically underperforms from what it says. And I've seen other ammunition that overperforms from what it says is on the box. So you have to be careful about that. Always carry the ammo that you practice with so that you know what kind of power you're dealing with in your in your ammunition. Um, you know, you don't want to just change it, change it out randomly. You want to make sure that you're accustomed to the the recoil of the type of ammo you're using that's another important aspect and then also just staying up to date on training this is a thing that boggles my mind people will go and get training once i can't find that app dude it's all right <laughs> people will go and get training once or twice and then they will stop 
And mm-hmm. even then, they stop going to the range to maintain, you know, target groupings and accuracy. And they go, well, I've already done it all. And I'm like, it's not like riding a bike. It is not. It is too dangerous of a right and ability to just say, oh, I'm not going to stay up to date on it. It's, it boggles my mind that people have that attitude. I do run into them from time to time, and it's crazy. I ask gunners, when was the last time you went to the range? Oh, it's been a while. I'm like, and this is like pre-pandemic, right? It's not talking about when things are shut down, you know? Yeah. Pre-pandemic, people are like, well, it's been, you know, a year. I'm like, what? Like, since you shot? Like, at a target? I'm like, yeah, you know, I haven't really had a reason. I'm like, the reason is self-defense. <laughs> the reason you got the gun is the reason for you to keep practicing with it. So that you don't accidentally hurt somebody else. Right. What are you doing? Like you're being a lazy gun owner that is going to end up getting somebody else hurt. Yeah, you have to practice with your firearm. Come on. Six or seven range visits in a matter of like six months. Yeah. So yeah, it's very important. Yeah, I would say if you're going to be an active... Uh, firearms carrier in your day-to-day life you should go at least once a month to the range just for like an hour and just do practice drills you don't have to spend five boxes of ammo mm-hmm. you know you don't have to spend expensive ammo get the paper wad shots for like 20 bucks a box and what's paper wad shots uh, so I, I always call them that but they're basically they're flat no shots so that when they hit a paper target they make a bigger hole so wow. it's easier to see your groupings and things like that mm-hmm. um, sometimes they have like a fly cutter aspect to them where the once they fire they have tiny arms to open out on them mm-hmm. but uh, you can usually get those at like any range you can get them at like Dick's Sporting Goods right because Dick sells shotguns and long guns and because certain most certain long guns also use pistol ammunition, so you can get sidearm ammunition, like just generic practice target stuff um, at Dick's as well, which is another good place to get just cheap ammo. Um, and you should you really you really should practice like once a month. Like I went up to my property up in the mountains and I practiced and I was horrified at how off I was with my freaking revolver. Take me with you. My long gun was was really good. My thirty out six did just fine. Um I, I keep I always call it that's what it's chambered in folks. That's not what the gun is called. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> that's fine. So it's chambered in thirty out six, but it's a nineteen oh three Springfield. My 50 cow. My 50 cow. Jeez. That's what I should have bought my timber in. (laughs) No, but so, I got my long gun sighted back in to about, you know, like 60 yards, 120 yards, which is about as far as I would take a shot if I was hunting with it. Um, But, dude, my handgun skills were subpar. They did not meet my standards. Yeah, with the three fifty seven. Yeah, yeah. Start out with nine millimeter. My man's gonna have bad wrists at 
58 years old. My wrists are already shot. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're screwed. Um, but anyway, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely have to get back down to the range and do some more practicing myself. And man, tell you what though, there's nothing more fun than shooting that loud ass long rifle at the range. There you go. There you go. You look at the range wardens. You go, hey guys, this is gonna be loud. Just so you know, they're like, oh, what, what you got? 1903 Springfield, minted in 1915. They're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be very loud. I'm like, right. yeah. <laughs> Maybe Ooh. next time you need to get an outside range. Nah, I like the indoor range for it. <laughs> Dude, it is so loud and it kicks like a horse. Whew. I'm going to get a video of you uh, shooting that thing. And then we're going to do the uh, the bomb from freaking Star Wars where it goes, I might have a photo of it in my uh, phone here. The the next time I head up there, I'll let you know. I'm sure I'll need an extra set of hands at some point up there to fix something around. Oh, yeah. But I think that... Thinking about wasting a couple, couple clips of ammo... A few clips of ammo. What do you want? And I actually need an extended mag for my gun. I actually want it. Yeah, your your conceal is a low capacity magazine, right? It's uh, like seven shots. No, I have twelve. Oh, okay. Mhm. That's the reason why I chose the P three sixty five XL because it just provided a lot of shots for its. Um. It's, you know, relatively small size and profile and ease of carrying the firearm, you know, mm-hmm. concealed. So, gotcha. I really like it. Well, that's good. Shout out to We The People Holsters from my awesome Kydex holster. And shout out to Triangle Shooting Academy for where I go to practice the skills. Yeah, man. I really love it. Those guys are really good about safety over there. Oh, yeah. All the time. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. I've never seen them actually have to remove anybody, but they did have um, a guy who didn't want to have his weapons inspected before he went and shot them. Mm-hmm. And his, his dumb self brought loaded weapons in with him. Which is not necessarily unusual for a sidearm, but you have to completely unload the weapon for them to inspect, like, magazines and things. And he wouldn't let them do it, and then he drew his gun, because he was upset, and, like, three three other people in the store shot his ass. <laughs> yeah. When the hell was I think, this? I think two of the people involved were just armed citizens that were, like, mm-hmm. in the store, and then another one who shot him was a range warden, I believe. I'm like, yeah, you don't walk into a professional gun store and pull out a loaded gun. Like, this is not a bank. <laughs> All of the people there are ready to shoot their exactly. guns that day, okay? Exactly. That might be the hardest target you could have picked for a civilian target. When you, when you idiot. walk in there, it's like, okay. 
really is. I couldn't believe the guy actually tried it. When I read the article, I was like, that didn't last long. They said it re- the whole incident was resolved in like a minute of him. It was like 40 seconds of him pulling, of becoming angry and then pulling out his gun and then getting shot. Yeah. And the cops showed up, took statements, and left in like an hour. And the range opened back up. <laughs> they did not... I can imagine an announcement going on that says, and that, folks, is why you do not pull your firearm. (laughs) Don't fuck with us. (laughs) And have a nice day. Like, I can just imagine, like, people being in the cafe when that happened. There's, like, a little barbecue joint over there that's got great barbecue. It's an awesome little... Does it? Yeah, yeah, it's kick-ass barbecue. I don't... I forgot what I tried from over there. I think it was, like, the chicken tenders or Mm, something. Yeah. I don't know. Well, barbecue was good when I went, but um, mm-hmm. I can just imagine like some old dude just brought out <laughs> his guns to keep him in shape, and then turns and goes, "Oh, this again, Larry!" And then just pop, 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 pop. Oh my gosh! Thanks, Larry. And the cook just goes back to work. <laughs> Got the cook packing heat. Of course, you know. You don't mess with the cook. Got Did we learn bullets. nothing from Steven Seagal? Got bullets freaking popping in the in the pan back. Oh, back. oh geez. Oh, shit. But yeah, firearm safety is imperative. You have to keep that training tight. And if you're not, and you're a gun owner out there listening to this, you ain't been to the range in three months, stop being lazy. The ranges are open. Oh, yeah. Stop being freaking lazy. Ain't nobody wearing no masks at the ranges. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) Ain't nobody wearing no masks. They're like, we love the the smell of gunpowder. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't mind it. When I cleaned my revolver, I was like, I forgot how much I I missed that smell. No, you can't. You can't be whiffing in all those grains like that. It's lead. You got to chill. There's a reason. That's right. I'll be dead by the time I'm 70, probably. Oh, my God. And that's the end of the podcast. Peace Bye. out, people. We love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're really... I'm struggling over here. No, I feel you. I gotta hit the restroom, and then I gotta get home. It's What time is it right now? It is currently 1.07. Nimbus and Gambler are running the late hours. Late hours of the stream. I'm still going to be up. I still got stuff I got to do. I'm going to be up in like three hours. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I got to drive 25 minutes home. Yeah, I'm going to be up in four hours too. Dad life. Dad life. Well, folks, thank you for stopping by and listening to podcasts this morning, this evening, wherever you listen to it. Really appreciate it. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about a little bit of updates about what we're doing creatively. Come with some more fun topics and talk about some more things. Peace out. Peace out.